James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like flowers of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Uh, Father God, thank you so much that your word is uh, a light. Uh, Your word is what we need for life. Uh, Thank you for the kids, uh, that they can uh, get a chance to listen to your word. Uh, Thank you for Nat, who is willing to teach. How we pray, Lord, that you uh, will use her as an instrument of, of of shaping the hearts of these, of these kids. And for us, Lord, we pray that you will uh, give us your focus, uh, help us to understand what you are saying to us. And more than anything else, Lord, help us to obey your word, that we may be changed to be like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, hello, everyone. It's wonderful to see you again. My name's Rob. I'm the leader of the church. It's great to have you here with us. And those who are sort of regular with us, those who are visiting, it's just great, isn't it, to be able to meet together and to hear what God is saying to us, um, his people. And if you're not yet a Christian, I hope um, you're able to, um, to hear something that encourages you to, that the Christian life is for you. Um, I hope that's uh, the case today. I want you to start off um, talking just to the person next to you. And uh, hopefully at least one of two of you is comfortable with doing that. Um, there's a 50% chance, I guess. And I want you to think about how you would think that Christians grow. And then I want you to come back with me, uh, to me with the kind of activity you're imagining them are doing when they're growing, okay? You probably had enough time there, I know you're not loads of time, but enough time there to hit, to hit on the ones that I'm thinking you're going to say, basically. Um, so what, 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 what ideas do you have? How, how, what activities are, are you imagining Christians doing as they're growing? Serving others. Serving others, yeah? Yeah, big part of the Christian life. Yeah. <coughs> Reading the Bible? On your own, and hearing, it. and hearing it preached at church on Sundays and elsewhere, um, yeah, Fellowship. big one. Fellowship. Fellowship with other Christians, yeah, spending time together, spending uh, being together, um, learning from each other, yeah, presumably. Um, any other ideas? Praying, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So praying to God. So prayer is a, is a response to God, isn't it? When we hear God's word, that's a, a response. So we would imagine that we'd grow as we respond to God through his word. 
Um, look, I'm not here to, <laughs> you'll be glad to hear, to say that any of those things don't help us to grow as a Christian. Phew, phew. They all do, okay? Absolutely help us to grow as a Christian. Uh, but James, interestingly, when he gets down to business in verse 2, um, that's not the first thing he tells us in this letter helps us to grow as a Christian. <coughs> the first thing he tells us helps us to grow as Christians is surprising. It's not the one we usually think of. And I, I guess, actually, probably in this room, we, none of us thought of it. It's actually trials. So James, James is going to tell us today that trials help us to grow as Christians. That's a, that's a mindset, mindset shift, isn't it? Because that wouldn't be the obvious one we come up with. So facing trials in the Christian life, wherever we are, is going to help us to grow as Christians. And we can see that James is writing to Christians. So if you look down with me, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, in verse 2. So he's talking to Christians here. And we'll hear more about the kind of things they particularly were facing as we go through this letter. But for the moment, it's quite general. He says, he's speaking to my brothers. Um, who is James? Well, James, you might know, was the brother of Jesus. He was born of Mary and Joseph. And so he was a, a blood relative of Jesus. Um, but all the more important to James is that he uh, understands who his earthly brother was. If you look down at verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, my big bro. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. He understands that Jesus is Lord and that he is the Christ, the one who came to earth, that he is God become man, come to give his life to save sinners. So James is a Christian. <laughs> he's understood the gospel and he's come to faith in Jesus. And he's writing to other Christians. Um, and what he wants for us today is a different way to think about trials. What he wants for the Christians he's writing to then and the Christians today here to think to, to have is a new way to think about trials. Um, I was thinking about this and I I tend to view trials in the Christian life, and forgive me if this is a little bit of a sort of a silly analogy, as like when you're on Mario Kart, and there's all those obstacles that are getting in the way of your progress. Things that people throw out, like a banana skin or a, a bomb or something, and it just goes off, and it just gets in the way of progress. And I kind of see that in my Christian life, I think trials are just like, they're slowing me down. They're getting in the way of progress in the Christian life. And yet, James says here that trials are going to help me to grow to be more like Christ. Actually, progress. <laughs> They're making progress in my life to be more like Christ. So I have to have a, a different way of thinking about trials. And if you're a Christian here today, that is wonderfully true, that God is using trials to, to make you more like Jesus. This verse tells us, uh, if you look down with me, um, <coughs> verse 2... It doesn't say, if you meet trials, my brothers. It says, when you meet trials, they are going to come. And it says, trials of various kinds. It doesn't say just a particular type of trial. It says of various kinds, all different types of trials. So maybe difficulty linked to your work, linked to your family situation, to your household, to your health, to your life as a Christian in a world that doesn't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. All of the different areas we might be struggling with or facing difficulty. And it's, it's all of those things. And he says, count it all 
all of it, my brothers, joy. What? All of it, James? What? All of it? Yeah, yeah, count all of it, all of the Christian life, as joy. Now, we've got to get this right, because James is not saying you've got to suddenly make your emotions different and feel happy that you're going through this difficult thing. He doesn't say that. He says, count it. And when you count something as, you consider, you think. You think of that thing as, and then, and then he's going to tell us what we should think of it as. So it's more of a mind shift, mindset shift, isn't it? It's not, it's not just sort of suddenly mustering up some emotion, some, some good feeling towards our suffering. No, it's, it's changing our mindset on what trials are doing and give, getting our thoughts right and in line with what God says the tri- trials are achieving in our lives. So it's thinking it, consi- considering it, count it all, think about it. What are trials doing in your life? And then he says in verse 3 and 4, You know, again, thinking, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It will do that. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, will make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what is trials going to do? They produce steadfastness. That word just means remaining. Okay, You know when they talk about Jesus... um, uh, Jesus remaining in the temple when his parents went off and they didn't realise that he was, he'd remained in the temple. It's the same kind of word. So remaining and enduring is that word, steadfastness. And, and so what is being produced in us through these trials is, is remaining, steadfastness, endurance. And that's not surprising when you think that Jesus himself, that was character characterised in his life, wasn't it? If you think of what... You can think of loads of adjectives to describe Jesus, Jesus in his character. But, but endurance, perseverance through trials, that's got to be up there with the top ten or top three. And so if we as Christians, yes, he is the one who endures through trials, but he's given us his spirit to change us to be more like him. So what would you expect to see in the average Christian? Well, we would become more like him in that we would endure through trials. That's the characteristic that God is growing in us. That's, how he, that's the bit of becoming more like Jesus that he's growing in us through trials. And he's, trials are the way for that to happen. So we've got to start to think differently, a different way to think about trials. Trials aren't the obstacle in the Christian life. They're the way God is actually progressing us, making, growing us, making us more like Jesus. It's not going to feel exciting or easy, but there is a purpose to it. There is a wonderful purpose to it. And we'll see that as we go through this. It's going to, this steadfastness that it produces is going to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is continuing his work in us, his children. Because he loves us. We're not there yet. So if you think, if you're sort of a bit more on the proud end of the spectrum as a Christian, you're thinking, I'm a great Christian. This is meant to humble you because you're not, actually. You need God to grow you. He needs to send some trials in your life in order to grow you. To show you your need of him. To make you more steadfast. To make you more like Jesus. So don't be proud. You need to grow. You're not there yet, but you will be. 
Um, and it's because of what trials are achieving in you that we can think differently about them. He says in verse 3, You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we get down to verse 12, it's going to say, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's the end game. That's what God is doing in us. If we've been given the spirit of Christ that changes us to be more like Christ in enduring through trials. I'm going to talk a bit a bit later about how differently that is to, to what we usually think. And even some churches and Christians believe about trials. We tend to sort of think, don't we, the blessed person is the one who never goes through any difficulty. The blessed life is the one that is easy from start to finish. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Blessed is the man who is steadfast through trials. It's very different. Okay, let's get into it then. Um, the next bit, it says, encourages us. How else do we need to grow? Well, uh, let, let's have a look. Um, it says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Why is uh, James now talking about wisdom and the need of it and asking God for it? Well, I think it's because when, when trials come, we don't know what to do. Let's be honest. When that difficult thing happens in your life and it all goes wrong, we all go, Look, I, don't, I don't even know what all the options are here, let alone the right one to take. I just don't know. And when we don't know, here we're being encouraged to ask. Ask God for the wisdom that we need. Um, it says in verse six, uh, verse five, end, end of verse 5, Ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. It will be given him. We're being encouraged here to see that God is a generous God. We know that. He has been massively generous to us in giving us his son and saving us from sin. And so to come to him with a request for wisdom, when it says that he gives generously to all, that means he's not, in, he's not sort of got this particular way of giving wisdom to some elite Christians. I'm pointing over there, but I could be pointing over there. He's not, he's not, he's not favouritist. He doesn't give wisdom to some Christians and they go to this higher level of Christianity. He gives, he gives wisdom to all. He is impartial. Anyone who asks, all of his children who ask him for wisdom, he will give it to, generously, without reproach. But then there is a warning in verse 6. It says, let him who asks, uh, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. Unstable in all his ways. Now it's normal for a Christian to doubt. It's normal for a Christian to doubt. What he's talking about here is being double-minded. It says that, doesn't it, in verse 7. And the double-minded person says, I'm going to hedge my bets. I need wisdom. I'm going to go to God, but I'm also going to go to other people and see what they have to say. 
So, so I need my, my wisdom from God. I need to look at what the Bible says. But, but really, I'm kind of assuming I will need some extra. That's not going to be enough. I'm going to have to go elsewhere for wisdom in this situation. And, and, and God says, just don't be like that. Because, because it's not, you should never doubt or that you, but that's lacking faith. And, and God wants to give you this thing. So don't suggest that he doesn't. Or don't suggest that it's less than what you're going to need. Don't be double-minded. We don't know what to do in trials, so ask him. Ask him for wisdom. And uh, I read a helpful book on this. It said that that when we ask, when we pray, God give me wisdom. And he doesn't always, like, it's not always like the piece of paper is lit up with the right answer and we know exactly what to do then and there. But we can trust as Christians that when we do start to make decisions, he's, been, he's guiding those decisions, Right? So we'll look back and say, oh, yeah, that was way wiser than I ever thought at the time. It's not like a bolt, a lightning bolt, and we feel entirely differently. But he will answer that prayer. He will give wisdom to help us to know how to go, how to go ahead. Um, verse 9. Uh, when trials come, we'll be tempted to look for security in other things. It's a bit, it seems a bit out of place, doesn't it? Um, just verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. Is this another thought? Are we still on the theme of trials here? Yeah, of course we are. Because um, he returns to talking about trials in verse 12. We remain steadfast under trial. So how does this fit in? Well, we are going to be tempted when the trial comes to look for security in other places and the person who has much, who is rich, guess what? They're going to be tempted to look for their security in what they have. And the person who doesn't have, guess what? They're going to be tempted to look at what they don't have for their measure of security. And they'll feel insecure. And so verses 9 and 10 is encouraging us to say, all times in the Christian life, but especially as we prepare to face trials of many kinds... Boast. What? Yes, we're being encouraged to boast. What are we being encouraged to boast? Well, if you are lowly, if you're poor, you're being encouraged to boast in how high God has brought your position. He has given you the most privilege and honour and glory that you could ever have. So the, the, the person on the bottom of the pile can boast in his exaltation, in where God has given him the highest privilege and the position through the gospel, through saving him and bringing him into his uh, family. And the rich person, well, you can boast in your humiliation because through the gospel you were brought low, <laughs> as low as you could possibly go. I've got nothing. I'm empty-handed and God still loves me. And he, you know, he, I was a sinner. I needed saving. I, need, you know, I was wretched. So boast Boast in that. Don't do what the world does and boast in what you have or don't have. Don't look for your security in those things. And don't, especially don't run to them when trials come. Boast in what God has done. He has raised you up. If you're lowest of the low, you are the most privileged person on the planet. And if you're the people who have loads of things, don't look at those things. He has brought you low. So when, when trials come, we'd be tempted to look for security elsewhere. So learn to boast. 
Learn to boast. Trials will come. They have taken on a whole new meaning uh, for the Christian. And we can think about them as God growing us to be more like Jesus. Making us more like his son. Getting us ready for the day when we will be perfect and in his presence. And if you look at verse 12, that's where all this ends up. Let's read verse 11 as well. Uh, In contrast, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. All that's going to come to an end. We know that, don't we? Fame, fortune, everything else is going to fade. As quickly as it sort of blew up, it's going to diminish. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That's how these two things come together, trials and blessing. As I said before, the blessed man is not the one who never goes through anything difficult. The blessed man is the one who God leads through the valley and, and grows him and in, helps him to endure because he will receive the crown of life that will never fade or perish eternal life that's 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 what he's got laid up for him that's what he's got in store and God is getting us there he's ensuring that we get there because he's he's got this project which is making us more like his son Jesus he's perfecting us causing us to cling to him and getting us ready for when we see him face to face If you're a Christian here today, someone who with James can say Jesus is Christ the Lord, expect that trials will come. Don't let any Christians, even people in church, tell you it's not your portion. Don't let them tell you that because that's a, that's a lie and God does not lie. Trials will come when you face trials of many kinds. The Bible teaches you will face trials as a Christian. If people have lied to you, don't hear that as God lying to you, because he never did. Expect that trials will come and start to consider them in your life, not as regrettable and inconvenient, but consider them as the way that God is getting you ready. He's making you, he's growing you to be more like his son Jesus. Because he loves you. And when you feel confused as to what to do in the trials, ask him for wisdom. He is generous. He doesn't want to withhold anything that we need from from us. So go to him, ask him. And fight the temptation to look to other things for security. Boast in your low position position and your high position, the position he has given you through the gospel. Let me just say, um, in terms of this, some examples of this. There's, there's, There's countless examples of this. You look around, I mean, I don't have to look far in this room even to, to clock, lock eyes on people who have been through trials and God has helped them to endure through trials. And that's like a massive encouragement to any other Christian who knows them, isn't it? You look at people and you think, humanly possible, it's humanly impossible that that person would still be going at it, still loving Jesus, still serving him and his people. 
because of what they've gone through, but, but it's true. They don't have to look far, and you can see hundreds of examples of that in Christians, in normal, everyday Christians. That's what God is doing in this world. And so if you're not someone who is a Christian, you could tend to assume or, or believe the lie that the trials, uh, because they're here now, that means that God isn't here, <laughs> that he doesn't exist. He's, he's sort of absent or uninvolved or disinterested. This says the opposite, doesn't it? It says that this is the way that God is doing things in the world. He is, he is growing his people to be more like Jesus. And that, that may be unseen, but, but actually that is what is going to be seen when Jesus returns. It's all these people who have stood the test. He has held on to. And they get to be with him forever. So wouldn't you rather know him, that God, now? As this generous and saving God that he is. Rather than know him to, um, on that day as your judge. Wouldn't you rather know him as this generous saving God that he is. Than know him as your judge on the day when Jesus returns. If you're not a Christian, this is something that you desperately need. and You need the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he can pay for sin. Only he can restore us to relationship with God. And give us new life. And the crown of life in the life to come. So I want to finish with one final thing. As I was preparing this, I was thinking about how um, suffering plays out, what it what it does in terms of response. And I think it's true that in the lives of unbelievers, people don't know Jesus. Suffering turns them inwards. Life just becomes about me and my difficulty, my situation. But what's wonderfully true, and I think we've seen it in this passage, is that suffering in the life of the Christian turns them outwards. That's odd, isn't it? Turns them outwards towards God. (laughs) Outwards to him. To ask him for for wisdom. To pray. To trust in him. And outwards towards others as well. So that other Christians may benefit from what God is doing in our lives. What he's been teaching us and growing us in through these trials. Rather than turning inwards, the the believer turns outwards when struggles come, when suffering comes. Let's pray. Father God, if it was us, we would uh, not have trials on the list of things to grow us, to be more like Jesus. But thank you that wonderfully, because all things can work for the good of those who love you. All things that the trials in our lives aren't wasted. Nothing is wasted. The days spent waiting for that appointment that we need for our ill health with our sick child in A&E, it's not wasted. You waste none of it because you're putting it to use growing us to be more like your son. Lord Jesus, when we look back, we grew in the most hardest of days. We grew most in the most hardest of days. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who who show us this each day and who are struggling yet always enduring because of what you're doing in them. We pray that we would want 
to be more like your son, more than we would want comfort. We know that's a battle. We assume everything's going to be easy. We pray that we would want to be more like your son, more than we want comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.